Welcome to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. I'm Pastor Travis Alltop of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church here in Danville, Kentucky, and we appreciate you tuning into the program again this week and trust that you're getting help from these lessons that we have. And uh, as always, I want to invite you to open your Bible and follow along in the Scriptures that we're going to be looking at today as we study the Word of God for instruction, for reproof, for doctrine, for all of these things. This week, I'd ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter in chapter 2, we're going to look at a, a passage of Scripture that I hope will be a blessing to you. It certainly sets forth the example of our Lord Jesus Christ in a very clear way and will help us as uh, saved people, followers and disciples of the Lord Jesus. It'll help us to understand uh, our attitude that we're to have uh, down here as we follow Him. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19, the Scripture says this, 1 Peter 2.19, For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? But if, when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps." Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Amen. Well, let's talk about this. There is a ton of preaching in these few verses and a ton of instruction for us as God's people. As a pastor of a local church in this late hour of the church age, I have watched uh, people uh, fade out of church and get out of the work of God. I've watched young people leave church uh, churches. I've watched parents defend the backsliding of their child due to what they perceive as wrongful treatment. There is a mentality and a spirit in America that has infiltrated our society and it has infiltrated our churches. This is the spirit uh, of being a victim. It's the spirit of, I am being mistreated, and I must be avenged of this mistreatment. I am a victim. Everybody's against me. There was a song I learned as a kindergartner that said, uh, Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Down in the cellar eating worms, yum, yum. And you know something? That's the mentality not only of America, a victim mentality. Well, look what they've done to me. Uh, I've been offended. I've been hurt. Someone hurt my feelings. Someone bruised my ego. This mentality that's in the lost world has unfortunately infiltrated our churches. And our modern day thin skinned society makes everyone a victim. And it has caused uh, people who have a, a very sensitive spirit to perceive a slight in everything that everybody says. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 119 verse 165? It says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Preaching shouldn't offend you. Uh, your brethren shouldn't offend you. And even if your brother does something uh, less than pleasant towards you, is it really that big of a deal? I mean, we're not going to get what we really deserve. Isn't that right? And yet Christians walk in with a big chip on their shoulder. I've watched it transpire in my own ministry, in people that I love dearly, that I want to minister to, but absolutely feel as though they 
have been mistreated. I've watched parents defend their children. I've watched parents come and say, well, you know, my child was mistreated. Well, you know, somebody said something about my child and, and they're discouraged about God and the church and they don't want to come to church no more. And the parents actually think that that's a legitimate reason. I'm going to tell you something. Some of you parents, listen to me. This is good doctrine. Listen to me. You need to get objective about dealing with your children, especially your teenage children. Because you know what? The teenagers, they're a lot smarter than what you give them credit for. You say, what do you mean about that, preacher? I mean this. I mean that they will play you like a radio and they know how to pull your strings and get you to sympathize with them and feeling sorry for them and present something to you uh, that makes it look as though, boy, that church has been mean to you. I'm telling you, I've watched it over and over. I've had parents tell me, well, you know, preacher, I don't believe my children would lie to me. Well, I, I hope that they wouldn't. And I have the same feeling about my children. I think, you yeah, well, okay, they're not going to lie, but I know that they have the capability of doing that. And you, as a parent, need to realize that my child is capable of misleading me for their own selfish agenda and purpose. Because, you know, somebody says, well, my kids wouldn't lie to me. And yeah, what they told you about a situation at church, they may have told you some of the truth. They were truthful in what they told you, but they weren't honest in what they told you. There's a difference between speaking the truth and being honest. You know, there can be five facts in a situation, and maybe that teenager knows that I can give him three truths, three facts out of the five. Because if they gave you all five, it would affect how you viewed the whole situation. And what they're doing is they are, listen, they're manipulating you to bring out your sympathy for them and to turn your wrath towards somebody at church. Now, I have just spoken enough truth in the last two minutes to bring revival to the average Baptist church if parents would wise up and realize that many times your child has an agenda and they are presenting to you, oh, I've been mistreated. I'm a victim. I'm a victim, mom. I'm a victim, dad. This church, amen, I'm not going back to this church because the people mistreat me. No, you know what you need to ask your child? You need to start asking some questions. The next time they complain, the next time your child complains about the preacher, about somebody at church mistreating them, you know what you need to ask them? You need to ask them, I want the whole story. What did you do to provoke that person that jumped all over you? Huh? Think about it. You know something? There is a sin in the Bible known as provocation. And it's a very difficult sin to prove because people can do things to provoke the wrath of someone. You say, where's that at? Well, if you'll study Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible gives a warning to us fathers. And it says these words. It says, fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, lest they become discouraged. So it's possible for a parent to provoke a child to anger unnecessarily. I read in 1 Samuel chapter 1, before Hannah gave birth to the uh, young Samuel, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, when the time was that Elkanah offered, he came uh, to Pen uh, Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portion he gave to her. I'm sorry. And verse 5 says, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. So Hannah had not had any children. And the Bible says in verse 6 of 1 Samuel, listen to this, her adversary also provoked her sore for to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. In other words, this other woman 
was provoking Hannah to get uh, a rise out of her, to get her stirred up. And you know something, I have watched that between Christian people. They'll uh, get chewed out by somebody and then come to me and say, uh, they, that person chewed me out, what are you going to do about it? But they fail to recognize or admit that before they got chewed out, they were just as guilty of, of being having a holding a bad attitude because they provoked the other person to wrath. Provocation is a sin. What am I saying this morning? I'm saying sometimes people suffer because of their own foolishness. They provoke people. I used to have a beagle dog, and uh, that dog was a good dog. Do Beagles are about as friendly of, a, of an animal as you're ever going to own. And this dog was kept in a doghouse and on a chain, and I had a cousin come by one time. And the whole day, that cousin, he knew, uh, that cousin of mine, he knew how far that dog's chain would reach. And he'd go right up to the edge of it, and he'd stomp his foot and, like, lunge at that dog. And we'd given uh, that big old dog a bone to chew on, a, a, a steak bone. And, man, he was just enjoying that. And you know what you do when an animal is eaten? Leave him alone. You know, and he was sitting out there minding his own business, this dog. And my cousin kept charging at him and jumping at him and threatening like he was going to steal that bone from that dog. And he was my older cousin, so I couldn't really say anything to him. But before he left that day, he said something to me that irritated me. He said, you know, you better watch that dog. He said, he's going to bite somebody. He nipped at me a couple of times. And I said, I wish he'd have bit you because you, you antagonized him and provoked him all afternoon. And so it is with our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Can you get honest enough to admit that many times uh, you get bit by somebody, but it's because you've been provoking them? Isn't that right? Now, look what the scripture says. Remember where we started? We're talking about the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, even hereunto were you called. Now, maybe there's going to come a time where you really do suffer uh, unprovoked. You really do suffer for simply conscience sake. You, you serve the Lord and maybe you get slighted or you get attacked or you get uh, persecuted. Can I remind you that the Bible promises those of us who will live godly, in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's a promise just like John 3.16 is a promise. So I'm always amazed when Christians are shocked that they're being persecuted or uh, mistreated wrongfully because sometimes our mistreatment is we call for it, we ask for it, but there is times that we suffer wrongfully. And when we do, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, we're supposed to take the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what it says. Verse 20 again, what glory is it if when you be buffeted for your faults, you shall take it patiently? In other words, sometimes you're at fault and you suffer for it. You ought to take that patiently. And nobody, you don't need to be rewarded for that. That's just normal. If you suffer because of your actions and your attitude, then okay, those are your faults and you suffer for them. That's to be expected. But then it goes on, it says, but if, I'm in First Peter chapter 2 verse 20. But if when you do well, in other words, you're living for God, you're not provoking people, you're not agitating people, you're not uh, trying to avenge yourself or some perceived wrong, you're just living for God, trying to be a blessing. And in the midst of that, it says that you suffer for it. If when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. In other words, just relax, take it patiently. You say, you don't know what they did to me. That's all right. We know what they did to the Lord. He wasn't guilty of anything, was he? The Bible says the Lord Jesus Christ 
He suffered wrongfully on every count. Didn't He suffer for your sins when they were your sins, and yet He took your punishment upon the cross? He took your curse and bore it upon the tree at, at Calvary? Didn't He do that for us because He loved us and He took it patiently? Listen, Christian friend, uh, the, the servant is not greater than his Lord. And if they've mistreated Jesus Christ, brother, sister, they're going to mistreat you too. And you know what you're supposed to do? Are you supposed to become a victim and roll around and, and cry for uh, a vengeance and cry about, oh, look what they're doing to me. They're crucifying me. Well, that's what they did to Jesus Christ. And the Bible says when you suffer for doing right, that you're to take it patiently. And it says in verse 21, for even hereunto were you called. We were called to suffer for what? For our own faults? No. It's right for you to suffer for your own faults, like we've already discussed, how oftentimes people get caught up in all that, especially with family. They have trouble being objective with family. But listen, when you do suffer wrongfully because you're doing well and you're following the Lord, this is what you were called to do. And if you'll take it patiently with the right attitude, with the right spirit, with the right heart, God says that this is acceptable with him. For even, even hereunto, the Bible says, verse 21, were you called? Because, here's why, Christ also suffered for us. Now you say, yeah, I know why he suffered, preacher. He suffered to pay for our sins, and that would be true. Jesus Christ offered himself a sacrifice for us, and he substituted for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Amen and amen. But listen, in this passage of 1 Peter chapter 2, it takes it in another direction. Yes, he paid for our sins so he could be our Savior and save us from our sins. But listen, his suffering that morning and that afternoon on the cross and during his trial, it says that he left us an example that ye... That's believers, that's me and you that have trusted the Lord as our Savior, that ye should follow his steps. So yes, Jesus was our substitute to save us from our sins, but in his betrayal, in his false trial, in his mistreatment, in his sufferings, he laid down for us an example that we are to follow in his footsteps. What was that example? Look at verse 22 with me. It says, who did no sin, look at it, neither was guile found in his mouth. Listen, when he was accused that morning in Pilate's hall and in the judgment hall of the religious leaders, when he was uh, challenged by the Roman soldiers, when he was beaten, when his beard was ripped out of his face, when he was mocked, when he was made fun of, when they challenged him, when they falsely accused him, the Bible says that he, as a lamb before her shears, he was dumb. He spoke not a word while he was being falsely accused. You know what the Holy Spirit will help you to do, Christian friend? He'll help you to get a hold of your tongue. Because the tongue does more damage, maybe, than anything else in the Christian's life and in the church that that Christian goes to. The tongue is full of deadly poison. The tongue is likened to a weapon. In the Bible, our tongue is likened to Spears, arrows, swords, and razors that work deceitfully. In other words, our tongue is a deadly weapon. In the day and age we live, you have to go through a course in order to get a concealed carry permit. In other words, they want you to have some instruction. They want you to fill out some paperwork, take a few tests, 
before they'll allow you to carry uh, a concealed weapon in this country. Can I tell you, you know what would be good every once in a while when you hear somebody just firing off at the mouth because they're angry and they're a victim, they got the victim mentality and they're murmuring and complaining and criticizing all those that supposedly have done them wrong, you ought to say, hey, do you have a permit to be carrying that weapon? Because, listen, the tongue does damage that you cannot undo. Once words have been fired out of that cannon of a mouth that you own, those uh, shots fired can never be returned. And whatever damage they do when they go out, the damage has been done. And I'm telling you, when Jesus Christ was mishandled, mistreated, and uh, abused, the Bible says he did no sin and then immediately it goes to how he controlled his tongue on that day. It says, neither was guile found in his mouth. Oh, Christian friend, listen to me. Oh, preacher Travis, listen to your own preaching. Let us guard our mouths. Let us set a watch about our mouths that we might be careful to contain and control that deadly weapon known as a tongue that has set on fire uh, the, uh, the course of, of nature and has set on fire the fires of hell. Listen, we need to get that tongue under control because that's what we use to get vengeance when we think we've been mistreated. And can I tell you something? The example, and listen, I, I don't necessarily revel in this great truth any more than you do. It goes against every fiber of my natural being. But the, the spiritual man, the Holy Ghost that lives within us says this is right. This is like Jesus Christ. You know, years ago, they were handing out those bracelets. There was a big uh, push about the what would Jesus do bracelets, WWJD. I remember one time going into a store that sold those, and I said, where are your what would Jesus do bracelets? They said, we've got them under the counter. I said, well, how come? They used to be out on top of the counter. Why have you got them under glass? They said, well, so many people were coming in and stealing them. <clears throat> yeah, what would Jesus do? Well, he wouldn't steal a bracelet from a store. And he didn't fire back at everybody that said something ugly about him. Now, I'm not talking about not responding uh, with Scripture, but I'm talking about your attitude when you're falsely accused or falsely uh, treated or, or maltreated, mistreated. When that happens to you, do you have enough Christianity in you to follow the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and just not fire back? You know something? The Bible talks about over there that the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And the scripture says, a soft answer turneth away wrath. Listen, you'll find that this truth will work in your marriage. You'll find that it'll work with your children. You'll find that it'll work at the place of employment. You will find that it will work at the church house. And it's supposed to work and it will work if you'll just Follow the example of Jesus Christ and take suffering patiently. You say, well, you're just asking me to be a doormat, preacher. No, keep reading. Look at verse 23. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus Christ, who, when he was reviled, look at this, reviled not again. He had control of his tongue by the Spirit of God. And you have enough Spirit of God to control your tongue too. It says, when he suffered, he threatened not. That's the example that God wants us to follow. That's the example that is acceptable with God. You want to live the Christian life? Apply these verses. It says, here's what Jesus did instead of threatening, instead of reviling with his mouth. Look what he does. But committeth himself to him that judgeth righteously. 
You know what the Lord did? He turned the case over to his heavenly father because he knows that God will judge righteously. And always has, and he always will. And you know something you will find? You will find that it is much better for God to step in and defend you when you've been mistreated, wrongfully accused, mishandled. You'll find that God always judges righteously, and he'll fix the problem so much better than when you try to fix it. You know what happens to Christians who get, uh, they get bruised, they get their feelings hurt, they get mistreated, they get talked about, and they find out about it. You know what happens to a lot of them? They lose their testimony. And they lose it because they get bitter at that other person. And in their mind, they hold a grudge. And in that grudge, that you don't see it on the outside necessarily, but they're waiting, waiting, waiting for the opportunity to pounce and get revenge. And you know something? People will, you'll lose your testimony and the person you fire back at will come out looking better than they are because people won't see the first offense, but they'll see your response, the second offense. And I'm telling you, the old saying is, two wrongs don't make a right. Well, they got that from the Bible. Because Jesus Christ said that his example was, when you're mistreated, to take it patiently. That's acceptable with God. That's Jesus Christ's example. And whoever was treated more ruthlessly or more mistreated than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. One time the old Methodist preacher Sam Jones uh, was preaching and he said that one time a brother had done something that had angered him and he said, I'll give him a tongue lashing. And he says, man, he says, God wore me out under his chastening hand and I got down on my knees and I repented. And he says, I made my mind up at that point that I would never treat a man, he goes, like that again, until that man treated me worse than how they treated my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And can I tell you something, Christian, whatever you're called upon to do, whatever you're called upon to suffer, whatever abuse you may take in this life wrongfully for the cause of Jesus Christ or for doing right, it will never be worse than what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, went through. Amen and amen. What an example. He set the example, and it's not too much for him to lay this upon our hearts to handle ourselves. And you know something? If people would start doing that, you would see revival begin to swell up in our churches. But as long as the brethren are ripping and tearing on one another and holding grudges and having a bad spirit, the Spirit of God is not going to move as freely and as fully as he would like to. I'll close with this story that illustrates this truth that we've read today and expounded in 1 Peter chapter 2 so well. Jesus Christ's example was he didn't try to get revenge. He kept his mouth closed. But the scripture says in verse 23, he committed himself to him, that's his heavenly father, that judgeth righteously. Tell God on him. Go to the throne and stay off the phone. As I heard one preacher say, Go to the throne and stay off the phone. Tell the Lord about these things. Another problem Christians have is they want to tell some other Christian how they were mistreated. Boy, that's a tendency of all of us. But I'll tell you who you need to tell. You need to go to God and say, Lord, you saw what happened. Lord, I'm hurt over this. Lord, this, I don't think this was right. Lord, you know how, how that's wrong. And listen, 
God may show you some fault that's in you that you don't even see. But listen, you're to commit this thing in prayer to God, whatever it may be, and take it patiently. Don't try to fix it on your own. Don't try to avenge yourself and let God know about it and let God step in. I think the greatest illustration of this came from back in the 1700s. There was a circuit-riding Baptist preacher from Virginia. His name was Samuel Harris. And he had loaned, he was an itinerant preacher back then. And he preached out and he had a, a, a fairly large family. And back then they lived hand to mouth, literally. And uh, he didn't have a whole lot. He would preach and, and get very small offerings. But uh, he lived next to a farmer who he had loaned some money to. And as uh, the winter was approaching, he had uh, felt like he was not going to have enough laid back to feed his family. And offerings were down. So he called in that loan from that neighbor. And that neighbor told him, he said, well, Mr. Harris, he goes, I don't have the money to pay you. Mr. Harris said, well, I'll tell you how we can settle it. He goes, I noticed that you've got a real good crop this year, a good standing crop. And he said, if you'll pay me what that crop is worth, whatever you owe me, if you'll give me, in, uh, if you'll give me crop and food uh, that f- uh, is for the going rate of that crop and food right now that'll equate to how much you owe me, he says, we'll call the debt settled. And that uh, neighbor of his says, uh, you're not going to get my crop. And so Pastor Harris asked him, uh, Brother Harris said, well, how do you expect to pay me? He says, I'm not going to pay you because he says, we don't have no contract. He says, the only way you'll get that money out of me is if you sue me. Because he knew Brother Harris was a good man of God and that the Bible would not allow him to sue him. So Mr. Harris was grieved. He had been done wrong. He had been ripped off. That, listen, that neighbor was in essence uh, not in essence, he was stealing money from Brother Harris. And it was money that Brother Harris needed to feed his family. And he offered the man a way to pay the debt through giving him uh, how, much the debt, how much debt he owed in the form of the crop. But he wouldn't do it. And so Mr. Harris retired into the woods to pray. And he tells the story that he went out there and he prayed until God gave him peace. That God said, look, I will take care of you and I will be the bondman." for your friend, your neighbor that's not going to pay, and I'll provide what he owes you. And so Brother Harris went home, and he wrote out an invoice, and he put on that invoice, paid in full. And on his way out of town, he saw that man's servant, and he called that servant over, and he said, take this to your master. And he says, I uh, forgive him of the entire debt. And so that servant took that invoice that said paid in full and signed by Samuel Harris, and he gave it to his neighbor. And on his way back into town, a couple of weeks later, his neighbor uh, flagged him down. And he says, what's this paid in this invoice that's paid in full? He goes, what's the meaning of this? And, he, and Mr. Harris, the preacher, told him, he said, I went into the woods. He said, when you said you weren't going to pay me and that I would have to sue you. He said, you know that I'm going to follow the Bible and I'm not going to sue you in a court of law. But he said, I went to prayer. And he said, I sued you in the court of heaven. I took it to the throne. And he said, Jesus Christ gave me peace that he would take care of me this winter. And he told me in prayer, impressed upon my heart, that he would uh, become a bondman, a surety for you. And he would pay your debt for you. And you two could settle it on the day of judgment. When Samuel Harris, uh, when his neighbor heard that, they said the next day that there was wagons being pulled up to the front of uh, preacher Harris's house that had the crop to pay the debt. Because listen... When you commit it into the hands of God, God has a way of getting things done and allowing you to keep your testimony intact 
And just as Samuel Harris followed the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he threatened not and he reviled not again, but he committed the whole thing and he committed himself to him that judged, judgeth righteously. And God took up his case and took care of it for him. Listen, that's our example, Christian friend. Quit holding grudges and making yourself miserable with bitterness and, and a desire uh, to get even with somebody. And just take it to God. If you've been mistreated, just take it patiently, which is acceptable with God. And if it's bothering you enough, take it to the throne and tell God about it and let Him defend you and avenge you. Because I'm going to tell you something, God will do it right every time. And you know something? This is acceptable with God. I hope this has been a help to you today. And may we all be more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Until next time, may the Lord bless you. Thank you for listening.